Hello, dear Prudence listeners. Danny Lavery here with some big news, or maybe medium-sized news, depending on your perspective. The big to medium-sized news is that I'm officially coming to the end of my tenure as Dear Prudence. It's been a wonderful, fabulous, almost five-year journey, but don't worry, I'm not leaving entirely, and you don't have to change your podcast routine. I'll still be here every week at Slate on my new show, which is called Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. And it's not exactly a new show because I'll still have guests and we'll still read letters and give advice, just fewer letters, less advice, and more questions about the greater themes. And if you're already subscribed to the Dear Prudence podcast, you don't even have to do anything. I'll just see you here on May 25th. It's kind of just as straightforward as if I were getting a new haircut. And I've gotten several haircuts over the course of my time as Dear Prudence, so no need to worry. I've done this before. I don't think I actually have any little news at all because I also want to congratulate Janae Desmond-Harris, who will be taking over as the next Dear Prudence and who's going to make an absolutely fantastic Prudence. I cannot wait to start reading the column again. I have missed that during my last five years. So there you have it. Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery premieres on May 25th in this very spot. See you next week. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Kate Duffy, a licensed clinical social worker in New York who's worked as a therapist and clinical supervisor in a variety of settings. And now here's our first letter. All right, next up is I think probably our most challenging, just maybe just sad letter of the day. Not even yeah. so much challenging. It's it's just sad. It's also fairly long and it's um my turn to read it. So uh, I'll go ahead and do that. The subject is confused about friendship. Dear Prudence, I work in the administration office of a low-barrier homeless shelter. It's a really wonderful place that offers opportunities to many who don't have chances elsewhere. Over the last year, I've become closer friends with a coworker in substance use direct services, Billy. I know that he was a former client of the shelter after serving 10 years in prison and being homeless for a year after that. We often had lunch together pre-pandemic and texted frequently. A few months ago, I was trying to find him online and discovered that he is a registered level three sex offender with multiple convictions regarding the assault of a child. I felt sick. I tried to distance myself. I spoke to my boss about this without naming him directly. She said that she's learned that working in a low barrier place like this, one that offers a chance to change to many individuals who have made very big mistakes that she takes people in for who they are today, not who they were then. I also spoke to the trauma specialist on site and I talked to my therapist. Am I a bad person for continuing this friendship? Do I even want to continue this friendship? I've also become friends with his roommate who also works at the shelter. They both live in sober housing and don't have many friends outside of work. His roommate doesn't know why our friends serve time and isn't the type to go looking online for it. It's been about a year since I found out and it eats away at me. Part of me wants to be a good person and accept people. Billy has done a lot of work on himself and he's been open with me about abuse and trauma he experienced while young, talking to me about being in prison, but never mentioning why. I've also had to see him every day, and my anxiety has created this situation where I just act like I always have been, friendly and open, without mentioning it. Part of me was also afraid. 
due to my own experiences with violent men. Recently, I accepted a new job. I'll be leaving this place soon. Now that I won't be seeing Billy in person every day, I wanted to say something. I'm just not sure what, that I know, that I'm angry, that I want him to explain, but why do I want to be friends with this person? You have to understand that we developed a really unique friendship before I found out, and I felt completely separated from the person that he was, and I only know the person he is now, someone who I can't imagine even yelling. Never mind such a horrible, violent act that leaves me with every knot in my stomach. How do I move forward? Do I tell him I know? Hmm. Ooh, um, yeah. A second. Yeah. yeah. I think I also need that second. Yeah, this is this is a really, really intense letter. Um, yeah. I think there's two things that I really want to focus on just uh, sort of globally, because there's a lot in this letter that's both professional and interpersonal and relating to trauma and yeah. and, and so on. You know, your boss said, um, I try to take people as they are now, not who they were in the past. And later you say, you know, I want to be a good person. I want to accept him. I only know the person he is now. And the person that he is now appears to me to be somebody who couldn't even yell. And um, without saying that real, genuine, lasting change is not possible, I believe that it is. I believe that it is rare among people who commit Mm -hmm violent sexual assault against children, but I I don't want to say that I think it is impossible. Um, And I can also understand why it can feel meaningful for people after years and years of change or years and years of work to think of themselves as fundamentally a different kind of person than the the person that they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I I get that. I also just want to say he is the same person. He is all of the people that you have known him to be, that you have learned about him, that that's all the same guy. So it's not like this brand new person who inherited his name. It's all him. And you see him at work. It sounds like around adults. So while I can appreciate that he has been a good friend to you, the fact that you can't imagine him yelling doesn't mean he can't yell. And it doesn't mean he's not capable of violence towards children. He has committed violence towards children. So I I don't want you, letter writer, to get into this trap of because he seems one way to me at work, he must be just so different from whatever version of himself committed those acts. And I think that's some of what we get when we talk about the idea of like sexual violence against children being something that makes somebody a monster. One of the, I think, unintended, really negative side effects is that if we know someone who has done that, there is a tendency within a lot of people to say, well, a monster would do that. And this person doesn't seem like a monster and I know them and that knowledge feels intimate, real, and ongoing. So I have to think of that as like a past monstrous version of themselves instead of a part of this person. Because then it turns into, if I know someone, they must be safe, they must be better. You know, bad things come from other people, come from outside. And that's one of the ways I think, again, that people will excuse this kind of thing in their families, in their workplaces, and among their friends, because only a monster would do that. And you're not a monster because we had lunch yesterday. Yeah, I I think that's really true. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, finding out something about a person, whether it's a family member, a friend, someone that you really care about deeply. And, and again, I'm not trying to negate the fact that this person has a unique friendship with this person. That's entirely possible. Um, you know, people contain multitudes and someone can, you know, at least to you, appear to be a really fun, nice person who you get along really well with. And and again, you you have the relationship that you have with this person. 
But I agree with you, Danny. I think that there is a tendency, you know, in finding out information about someone who we trust and who we feel close with, um, that they've harmed people, especially harmed children, to try to distance ourselves from it, especially because it can make us feel really bad, right? It's like, well, I trusted this person and I care about this person. So what does it say about me that they have done these things? I think that there's a lot of different layers to that. Um, you know, and the I guess the line of this letter that really struck me was towards the end where the, the writer said, you know, part of me wants to be a good person and accept people. Um, and I found that really interesting that they're putting this pressure on themselves to have to, quote, be a good person um, and, and to accept this person means that they have to continue a friendship, right? Because like, to me, those are different things. Um, You can, first of all, you don't have to, I I don't believe that in being a good person means that you have to continue um, the type of relationship that you've had with this person. I think Mm -hmm. that you can, you can have good memories of this person and the way that you interacted with them. It's not wrong to say like, yeah, we developed a good friendship and, you know, I, I felt comfortable with this person for a time. That's totally valid. Um, but you don't have to be friends with this person. You're, you're, it sounds like you're kind of asking for permission um, because you're saying like, do, you know, why do I want to be friends with this person? Do I even want to be friends with this person? I think that you kind of know the answer to that. If you're unable to separate what this person has done in the past, which is understandable. That's how can you separate that fully, right? Like, how can you just say like, it doesn't matter. He's a totally different person, you know, but I, I just, I really invite you to kind of question what that means. Like, why are you equating being a good person with moving forward with this friendship when it sounds like well, that's really not something you can do? I mean, I think part of the reason that this letter writer is saying this is because that's the pressure they've gotten directly from their boss. Mm, that's a right? good point. Like, yeah, you know, you told you you told your boss I'm uncomfortable having learned this, which I just want to say, letter writer, that's appropriate, that's yeah. reasonable, that's fine. That does not make you. I, I, everything about that is perfectly understandable. You went to your boss and the trauma specialist for some support. You were not saying, you know, throw him off of a bridge, make it impossible for him to earn a living, crowd him out of society, like. That, I think, is an appropriate level of separation of, like, horror at the crime that he committed and also saying, like, I believe that he has a right to live. Of course. Absolutely. So, like, you were you were not trying to do anything that was even within, I think, like, a, a football field of judgmental or harsh. You were asking for support and for context. And your boss said, you know, hey, listen— this is great because it gives us the chance to change people who have made mistakes. And I'm sorry, sexually assaulting a child is not a mistake. If that's the language that she used, um, she was wrong to use that kind of language. That's minimizing it. That's dismissing it. That makes it sound like, well, we all make mistakes. Um, you know, it takes me back a, a little bit to that earlier letter of like, well, you poked my face, which was wrong. So I bit your finger until you bled. No, no, no. Like one does not yeah. Merit the other. Or Absolutely. Like, yeah. Raping a child, not a mistake. Absolutely. I think that's an extremely uh, important point, right? That like, there, there's nothing, it's not like, whoops, I, I spilled milk. Like, th- there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no like, oh no, how did that happen? 
Um, that was a choice. Yeah. Assaulting a child is a choice. Um, and I, and I think that it's, you know, it's interesting that this person, this writer mentions, um, you know, that Billy has disclosed his own history of abuse. And it's true. Oftentimes people who experience abuse um, in childhood or young adulthood, that can, you know, mean in the future that they are at a higher risk for abusing other people. That does not in any way excuse uh, abusing someone, a uh, child or otherwise. That's not an excuse that that might, you know, give some context. Um, but it's not to say like, oh, well, you know, he had a really bad childhood and he was abused. So naturally, you know, you know this he just occurred. know any better. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's not how I that said works. that with air quotes, just in case right. <laughs> people can't see my yeah. air quotes. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so all you know is how he feels about his own abuse. You have no idea to what extent he has actually grappled with the way in which he abused someone else. Yeah. So, the, you know, I, I think letter writer, you feel, you you say, I don't quite know, like, what I've been doing for this last year. Um, I just really want to stress, you found out something really shocking. You went to your boss and your boss kind of implied, you're going to have to get over this. This is what our work is about. Um, So there was an implied pressure of your job might be dependent on getting along with this guy. And then you also mentioned that you were yourself afraid that you have a history of experiences with violent men. So I would encourage you, letter writer, to look at this in context of you found out something shocking and scary. You reached out for support and you were told, I think fairly directly, if also, you know, through insinuation, it's your job to get over this. It's your job to think of him as a changed person. It's your job to be comfortable with this. And then you also were frightened for your own safety. And so what you did in order to get along for the next year was stay in place. And now that you are free to move on to a new job, now that you are no longer under that same pressure, you, you're sort of, your, your mind has sort of released some of those questions to say like, are we now safe enough to re-examine them? I think that's why this is coming up now. Um, yeah, that makes totally sense agree. to me. Mm-hmm. I'm very sorry you were put in any of these positions. I'm sorry about the way that your boss handled this. I'm sorry about the way Billy handled this. I, it really makes sense to me that this troubles you. It really makes sense to me that you don't want to continue being friends with him. I would not want to continue a friendship under these terms. Um, again, that's really separate from his ability to make a living. This may or may not actually be the best place for him. I don't know how directly he's working with vulnerable populations um, or what sort of external safeguards and accountability are present. Right. That strikes me as an open question. You know, you say, why do I want to be friends with this guy? I think because you've been afraid. I think because you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you feel like it's your job to placate him and keep him happy because your job has been sort of dependent on it and also because he has reminded you of other violent men. And that's not to say that the friendship you had before wasn't meaningful to you. I just think that's where a lot of this is coming from. I think you are right to say this actually does change how I feel about him. This does change my understanding of him. This doesn't mean I don't want him to be able to sleep under a roof, but it does mean that, you know, I don't trust him in the same way that I used to. Again, that's really appropriate. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up, Danny, the distinction between, you know, do I want this person in my life directly as a friend? And do I, you know, assert their right to have a good life in whatever context that means for them in terms of having shelter, having employment, um, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to, uh, live a life because I do think that that's something that unfortunately people who are on the sex offender registry 
really struggle with. You know, a lot of times homelessness is a huge issue because they can't find a place to live. Um, it's incredibly difficult to get employment. Um, and you can understand, right, that there have to be safeguards and that, you know, it's public knowledge that this person is on the sex offender registry. So that's going to implicate, you know, how people might respond to them looking for housing or looking for work. But absolutely, everyone deserves those things. Everyone deserves to have a life and to be able to, but that's completely different than you personally having a relationship with this person, either a friendship, a romantic relationship. If I mean, th those, those things are not the same. And I agree that it's completely understandable and natural that your feelings towards him would change knowing this information. And I agree with you, Danny, that it sounds like this has been kind of a, pr a protective situation of trying to push past what you know, push past how it makes you feel, which it sounds like is scared and sick. Mm -hmm. um, because yeah, you didn't get a great response from your boss. Yeah. You know, that, that was not what I would say is a good response. Um, I really would have preferred that, you know, that boss were able to sort of really meet you where you're at in terms of how you're feeling and, you know, make sure that you feel comfortable but that didn't happen. And so it sounds like you really kind of, you know, shoved this stuff down and really tried to just sort of like make it through the year. Um, and whatever past trauma that you've been through um, reared its ugly head. And so I agree with you. I think now that you are, you know, quote, free to think differently about this and you're moving on to a new job where you're not going to have to interact with this person unless you choose to, you kind of have this, this, unlocking of those feelings where they're kind of coming up to the surface again, but your feelings are not wrong. You know, if, if you feel sick thinking about what happened, if you feel like this is completely changing how you can have a relationship with this person, that's, yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, you don't owe him friendship. You don't owe him that type of relationship. You're allowed to say, I'm walking away from this. It uh, doesn't mean you wish him harm. It doesn't mean that you wish him to die or to, you know, never have a job or never be able to afford food or rent, but you just don't want to have a relationship with him. And that's valid. Yeah. that, that And that just, yeah. So in terms of what you can do next, truly anything is available to you. I would certainly encourage you to hopefully find like a better trauma specialist or therapist, um, one who's not, you know, provided for you by your employer and therefore has a vested interest in saying, you're fine. Your trauma's fine. You can definitely handle this. This is fine. Keep doing your job. You don't have to talk to Billy about this. You can absolutely just pull back. Um, if the idea of having that conversation, especially in the context of your own traumatic experiences with violent men makes you feel like, like this to me is in a really different category than like, sometimes I hear my neighbor shouting and I can't imagine the idea of like knocking on their door and introducing myself. This Absolutely. is like, I became very close to this man and then I found out he violently sexually assaulted a child and I've been kind of in terror the last year because my boss sort of made it clear that I needed to be cool with it if I wanted to keep working here. And now the idea of trying to have a confrontation with him scares me. That makes sense. If you want to just lose his number, absolutely. Um, he might experience some sadness over that. You know, he he has to live his own life. And if he is truly trying to reckon with the extent of the harm that he caused, one of the things that he needs to, I think, be prepared for is friendships that don't rest upon disclosure and really wrestling with and acknowledging the extent of the harm that he has caused are not friendships that are necessarily going to last uh, and beyond when somebody else finds out what he did go to prison for. 
that's one of the that's one of the things that he cannot avoid or get out of um, as he tries to figure out how to live a different kind of life now. So that's his thing to manage. That's one of the side effects of the choices that he made. If yeah. you would like to say, Billy, please don't contact me again since I learned about your conviction. I, I have not felt um, the same way. I wish you peace, but please leave me alone. That would be fine too. If you want to tell other people that you're angry and then kind of work your way up uh, to talking to him, that would be okay too. You know, just, I, I, I don't want to stay too, too long on this one because I know we've been here a while. I just really want to sure. stress. If there's someone in your life you can't imagine harming or endangering a child, and then you find out either that they have harmed or they have endangered a child, the thing that needs to change is what you can imagine about them. Sometimes it can feel so unbelievable or difficult to wrap your mind around that people choose to shut their minds to it. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. I don't mean that you have to picture it or to try to like imagine it over and over again in your head. I just, if there's times that you say, but I can't even picture him yelling, you know, the answer to that is, but he did. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. I just saw him in a different context. Yeah. And like we said with, you know, the first letter writer as well, you can walk away. You know, it, it's okay, it's okay to walk away. You know, yeah, you, don't, it's hard, you don't need to it's... go into yeah, you don't need to go into it. You don't need to explain. Um, you know, it, in a way it's kind of like, you know, you're leaving this job and and all of a sudden you you don't need to see him at all. Um, and if you feel most comfortable just kind of pulling the plug and being like, you know, I'm out, that makes sense. Um, but don't feel like that's a terrible thing to do. It's not. You know, you you can absolutely choose that you're closing up shop and that's it. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. I'm Danny Lavery, and I will be back here next week, but the podcast will have a new name. And that name is Big Mood, Little Mood with Danny Lavery. And perhaps there might end up being a new Dear Prudence podcast with the next Dear Prudence somewhere down the road. It could happen. This is Daniel M. Lavery. I hope you'll join me right here next week for Big Mood, Little Mood. Goodbye, Prudence. Prudence.